Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Parenting Hour. You're tuned into Unity FM 93.5 here in Birmingham and 105.1 if you're listening to it down towards London and the London area and the rest of the Midlands area. Welcome to this evening's show. We are very happy to be with you this evening. We are recording this today for you, so it's a very live recording just uh, just before it goes live out on air with uh, two wonderful experts. And we're going to be talking about hyperemesis, hyperemesis gravidarum, and they're going to actually explain what does that mean in a few minutes. But if you're pregnant and have vomiting issues uh, or have uh, difficulties with, with food, you probably understand the terminology already. And we do want more people to understand this terminology because it's been a little bit of a while since we've had Margaret and Chad on the show previously talking about this, talking about the new ways, the new drugs that are there, the new, the, which are not new anymore, but how to help people um, that are suffering in this, at this stage of their pregnancy with this condition. And we want to, you as listeners to please take these messages and to tell other people about it, your friends, your neighbours, your relatives, over conversations as we're all in lockdown still, but having those telephone conversations, having those Zoom conversations to get those messages out there to be able to help and support people that uh, are pregnant and are suffering and may not have heard um, about treatments, the latest treatments. So as I said, we've got two experts with us that are here with me, live in front of me, which is wonderful. Um, Margaret O'Hara and Shaz Jaffer. Welcome to you both. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Margaret and Shaz are actually, both of them are trustees for Pregnancy Sickness Support. Um, and they'll tell you more about that organization and what it does. And Margaret is also a research developer with University Hospital Birmingham. Shaz is doing a lot of other research and a lot of other work with abuse and violence as well. So I'm sure she'll be able to tell you a lot about her work as well, what they're doing. So I'm going to pass over to them. Welcome to you both. How are you this evening? Thank you. Very well, thank you. Good, good. It's good to see you in front of me indeed. And it's lovely to see your smiles there and to be grateful that we are alive and able to do this show and able to give this information to our audiences. So thank you for giving up your time for doing this um, this evening. Will we go to Margaret first and explaining a little bit about your background, Margaret, and what you do uh, before we go into the topic? Uh, hi, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us on. Um, I'm by background a physicist and I uh, trained as a medical physicist at Queen Elizabeth Hospital. And then I went into um, various bits of clinical research. And I'm now working as patient and public involvement lead for University Hospital of Birmingham, um, which um, is essentially about getting the patient voice into clinical research. So I'm based at the R&D department at Queen Elizabeth. And I liaise a lot with patient organisations and members of the public to bring them in so that they can help to shape and design and have a voice in the research that we do. Wonderful, great. Thank you so much. That's really good. Um, I, and I hope our listeners heard that. Maybe if you're able to put up your microphone a little bit higher, just um, just for me, if, if possible. And while we go to Shaz, welcome Shaz. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here again. Um, yeah, yeah, so I'm a trustee of Pregnancy Sickness Support and I work um, for in, on my, in my other role. I also work um, in research 
I'm working in the, at the University of uh, Birmingham in the medical school in the risk, abuse and violence team. I'm looking at various topics, but my current topic is um, uh, around domestic abuse and violence. Um, other topics, I'm, I have, I'm also looking at um, uh, topics within high premises that um, are either it's work related um, and, and also we are looking now at the language used um, around high premises and how that impacts both the patient and um, from the health professional side as well. So that's just a brief Wonderful. It sounds um, extensive what you do. We may come back to you to do another show around abuse and violence because uh, we are hearing a lot of evidence coming out now about that uh, instance happening in our communities and it, it would be um, good actually to do another show around that with some other organisations maybe. So yeah, Yes, absolutely. Okay, with you in the future. Great. But let's talk about this evening's topic. Sorry, Margaret, how are you? Are you we're going to go back to you again to talk about hyperemesis. Um, and I'm sure the studio will hopefully modify the sound uh, for us. Um, sometimes it's my internet is, that goes down, and so I hope it's, it's maybe uh -huh. not my fault indeed, but sometimes it waves up and down like this, uh, and I, uh, they have to adjust it. When we're talking about hyperemesis, what is hyperemesis? Can, can we just break that down to layman's terms of, so people can understand it? Because it's, it sounds, and, we're, and we've actually condensed it down, hyperemesis, but the full title is even longer. Uh, yeah, so it's a big Latin name, hyperemesis gravidarum, but it just literally means lots and lots of thickness in pregnancy. Gravidarum just means in pregnancy. And there isn't really a really strict definition because obviously a lot of women get nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Um, and there isn't really a strict definition that says, okay, now you've got hyperemesis and now it's just normal pregnancy sickness. And we don't get too hung up on that, really. It's essentially hyperemesis gravidarum is where the sickness is really affecting your life. You're vomiting a lot. You, you have difficulty eating to the extent that it's interrupting your life and your ability to do the things you normally do and also affecting the ability for you to get enough food and drink. And we at Pregnancy Sickness Support, we're very much about helping women with pregnancy sickness so we don't say, oh, you're not sick enough, we can't help you. There's none of that. It's if pregnancy sickness is affecting you and it's affecting your, your life and your ability to do the things you need to do, like look after your children, work and so on, then that's when you need help. And that's when you might want to think about medications and, um, and seeking help further from your GP. Hmm. Uh, and now that we've broken down that, is there a lot of uh, parents, mums, mothers, um, patients, whatever we like to call them, suffering from that? What? How many people roughly suffer from this type of sickness? Um, we think it's around, it, all the literature, medical, scientific literature says between one and three percent suffer from high premises. But generally speaking, they're only measuring people in hospital. So these are from hospital records. But actually, we know that there are a lot of women who are really suffering badly, but they're not quite bad enough to have to go to hospital. Or maybe they don't even know you can go to hospital, or they just get told to go home and they don't get the help they need. So we reckon there's probably about 10% of pregnancies are badly affected by pregnancy sickness and really need some assistance. So it's higher than you think. And a lot of women will say, 
well, that sounds like what I had in pregnancy, but nobody ever told me it was hypermesis or nobody ever told me you could take medication or, or so on. So we think there's an unmet need. We think there are women who, who are just not getting help, who really could benefit from help and who should be having help. I suppose, especially now in COVID, that people are not wanting to go into hospitals. Yeah. People are kind of, it keeps their distance from them. They're a bit more afraid and they may not be coming forward. Yeah, and really, we think it would be better, generally speaking, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is the specialist group, so these are um, gynecologists and obstetricians who you would see in hospitals. So they're the, um, the specialists in this. The guidelines which were published a few years ago, um, they say that you should, you should get help before you get to the point of needing to be in hospital. And GPs can prescribe medications. And a lot of the time, if you take the medications early enough, then you can keep a lid on the illness and stop it progressing. And then you don't even need to go to hospital. So we're always trying to encourage GPs to, to prescribe at an earlier point. They're often very reluctant because there is quite a taboo around prescribing medication in pregnancy. However, the anti-emetics, that's the anti-sickness medications which are prescribed, have a very, very long history of use and are considered to be safe when you balance the risk, any medication, you, you balance the risks and benefits. And the benefits are far, far greater than any risks that there might be. So on balance, it's much, much better, both for the mother and the baby, for the mother to be given the medication so that she doesn't get so sick and doesn't need to go to hospital. Because obviously dehydration is not good for anyone. Starvation is not good for mother or baby. And you want to get enough medication to, to keep you able to eat and drink. And sometimes that means you, you might need medication as early as five or six weeks of pregnancy. It's not un uncommon. And hyperemesis generally hits pretty early and quite hard. It can often be very sudden. Um, and if women aren't prepared, they don't know what to do. And by the time they seek help, it's, it's already too late and they already do need to go into hospital for some extra assistance. And what you get in hospital is fluids. So you'll get a drip with a needle in your arm and they'll put fluids in because you're so severely dehydrated and you just need rapid dehydration. And sometimes they'll put some glucose in the, in the drip to give some energy and sometimes some vitamins. Very, very important to get thiamine. Thiamine is an essential nutrient for your brain and you can only store six weeks worth of thiamine from what you're eating. So if you're ill for longer than six weeks, then you, well, after a few weeks, you start being depleted in thiamine. And it's really, really important to get that replaced because you need it for your brain. Otherwise, you can end up with a condition called Wernicke's encephalopathy, which is where your brain swells up. And once it gets to that stage, it can be very dangerous. Wow. That sounds very, very dangerous for us and, and very serious. And, we, and it's really good that we're getting this message across again. I know it's been a while since we, we spoke about this, but we do, it just shows how important we need to be constantly getting this message across. Because I'm sure there's a lot of parents, especially now, that are not coming forward, that are very afraid, that have heard those messages over years and years and years about tablets and stay away from everything and are cautious about taking any kind of drug medication. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, nobody wants to take drugs in pregnancy, but sometimes you have to just because it, you, you have this illness, there's nothing you can do about it. And you do need medication to help you get better. And if you wait until you go to hospital, well, they'll just give you the medication in the hospital. They'll give you it in the drip. So you're not saving yourself from having this medication. You're just delaying it. And in fact, you might end up needing it for longer because if you delay it, you might be, you might be sick for longer than you would have been if you had taken it early. So when you have high premises, I mean, really, there's no avoiding the medication. You are going to need it. And it is worth remembering, um, I, you know, I don't want to terrify anybody, but it, it was a fatal condition before modern medicine. Around 10% of women with hyperemesis would die from the condition. They would essentially die of starvation. So it's not something to kind of mess around with. It's not something that you should treat lightly. It really does need um, treatment. And maybe other people in your life might be feeling a bit worried about that. Your husband, your mother, mother-in-law might be saying, oh, but what about medication? But I mean, really, if you have, if you have hyperemesis, you're really past that point where you have a choice in the matter. You've really got to get treatment as soon as you can. Is it uh, any more common in different ethnic minority groups? You know, we're, we're probably, COVID has come to mind where it affected Pacific minority groups more um, in, in illness and in death, unfortunately. Uh, um, rest in peace, all of, of people that have passed away from it. and. Uh, but it has affected different minority groups more. How about hyperemesis? Has, is there any evidence of this? Do you know? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Um, we think the it's a human disease. It can affect anybody from any walk of life, any ethnicity, any country, any age. Um, but having said that, I think there is a factor in that people from certain ethnic minorities may be less likely to seek help early and they therefore might end up more uh, likely to be hospitalized. So they sometimes show up in the, in the figures when they look at the statistics, because they generally only look at hospital statistics, it might look as though there are more ethnic minorities there, but we think that's because um, they are less likely to seek help early and they're more likely to end up uh, much, much worse and needing to go into hospital. But it's not like COVID where there seems to be some actual higher risk. Mm -hmm. And also, I think that um, it, with, if we talk about the um, Asian community, that they would be in a bigger family network and the advice coming from their peers and their elders is always going to be to try um, herbal remedies or well-known remedies that have helped in the past, but not suitable for hyperemesis, but it, they may have helped in pregnancy anyway, to try them first before they've approached um, health professionals. So that's why they could end up being um, hospitalized because they were in a condition where they actually needed hospitalization because they didn't seek help early enough um, and didn't get to the GP to even ask for antiemetics or maybe they didn't know that this was even a condition that they needed to ask for antiemetics or to be able to take drugs um, or even quite simply that other members in the family had a <clears throat> Um, a beautiful pregnancy, as we put it, where they're glowing, everything works perfectly, they're um, not really vomiting, they're eating well, and then suddenly the person who's suffering from hyperemesis um, isn't able to eat, and they may even be hiding, hiding it because they don't want the family members to know that they are, there is something wrong, or they didn't know there was something wrong, and, and they 
if they just try to cover it up and think that it will go away. Um, but it's high premises and it won't. Mm. And um, I'm wondering there maybe also about language difficulties and not able to understand if, if, if there's a lot of um, difficulties there in understanding English or which contact and maybe bringing uh, if they're bringing members to with them to do translation that they might be translating it properly what's going on there and what's happening as well so but all of those contribute to people not coming forward early enough. Mm -hmm. I'd say so and even for women who whose English is the first language sometimes report that they, they just feel like the GP is not hearing them and they're trying to explain how bad this is and the GP saying, oh, it's pregnancy sickness, everyone gets pregnancy sickness, just deal with it and they're allowed to believe there's something wrong with them because they can't just deal with it. And I think, I think that exists anyway, but for women from ethnic minorities, perhaps that is even further compounded by, by actual uh, linguistic difficulties or having it translated to someone else. And I think sometimes women who call our helpline they find it beneficial to take someone with them to the consultation, a friend or a or their husband. Because when you're sick, I mean, it's just so difficult to, to speak up for yourself because you feel so awful. And it can help if somebody comes with you. But I think there are issues there around standing up to authority and being seen to contradict a medical professional. And I think that's very, very difficult for people from lots of different socioeconomic backgrounds and perhaps also compounded by ethnicity as well. The people that contact your organisations that you're both trustees with, how do they contact you or how do they know about you? Um, we've got a website and we run a helpline and web chat. And uh, we, we have quite a large social media presence and we do try to advertise within maternity units and gynae units where women are treated. So we have cards that we ask midwives to give out, but um, a lot of it is word of mouth. And we do sometimes run media campaigns around certain events. Um, the Duchess of Cambridge was actually really useful for us in terms of advertising and raising awareness. And now people have heard of hyperemesis before she was pregnant. Nobody has ever even heard of it. So that does help. But we're always looking for um, any midwives or any health professionals who are interested who can help us to do that, who can download a leaflet and put it on the notice board in the waiting room. Um, any of that is, is really helpful because we don't really have the resources to do. You know, we're not a massive charity who have the resources to do a big um, poster printing campaign. And, um, so any healthcare professionals or anyone who wants to volunteer, we have... 450 peer support volunteers mm -hmm. around the country. So we offer peer-to-peer -peer support, which is uh, generally it's done by text message or WhatsApp or so on, because obviously when women are feeling very sick, they're at home, they're stuck in bed, um, they might not want to speak, they might not be able to speak. So the peer supporters are women like Shaz and I, who have had hyperemesis. They know exactly how it feels and they, they really feel... Um, solidarity with this poor woman who's sick at the moment and we're always looking for for more volunteers if anybody listening wants to get in touch with us about that and we try to match peer supporters with the um the lady who's sick in terms of characteristics 
some women will say, um, you know, I've had a miscarriage before, I'd really like to talk to someone who knows what that, that's like, so we'll try and match them on that basis. Or they might say, um, I'm a teacher and uh, I'd like to be matched with another teacher because I'm finding it difficult with work or whatever. So we try to match people up um, as far as we can. Or it might just be the want to speak to somebody local who's been to a local hospital as well. Mm. Um, and and what, what is available is a lot of advice that um, that maybe that person who is suffering from high premises hasn't um, been able to ask somebody else. They can ask the, the volunteer who's supporting that person. And also during um, COVID, we have been open. So nothing has closed down um, uh, the Pregnancy Sickness Support Forum and Facebook and also the volunteers and the helpline are open. Um, so if anybody is suffering that they, they should, they are encouraged to um, please call in um, for um, advice and, and any help in that matter. So we've got three employees now. So we've, we've grown quite a bit over the past few years. Um, we had one full-time employee um, and then we brought on another lady and just a few months ago actually brought on our third employee so there, there are three people in the office now and they are answering the phone and answering the web chat and looking at the online forum because we have an online forum as well which is really good for women who might be a little bit a bit shy about speaking to somebody or physically unable and they just want to have a look and see what other women's experiences are just to see get a feel for what's normal and whether or not what they're experiencing is normal and that can be done anonymously in the sense that you can um, you can use a handle. You have to put them. We do ask for information because um, sometimes women find themselves in an emergency situation in terms of their health. We have had that before with, where we've had to call an ambulance to go and visit somebody. So we do ask for some information if we're matching you with a peer supporter. Um, so that if there is an emergency, we know who to call and we can get some help to you. But with the forum, you, it's a little bit more hands-off. You know, you can you can just read, so you don't have to write anything. Um, the web chat, again, really good for people that can't really speak because they feel too sick. Um, so you can just do that on your phone and you can get live real information. Um, and we're also involved in research. The staff now are able to, because we've got someone else coming in, able to concentrate on fundraising. As you say, um, there's a lot of work to be done and we do need to pay people to do it so we have to fundraise. And also with research, we're really quite heavily involved in international research. We have the patient voice really central to a lot of the work that's happening around the world, a lot of the developments. I've got the number here. Did you say you wanted it now? Or? Yes, yes, why not? Yes, now I'm going to get later. It's 024-7638-2020. And um, the website is pregnancy, pregnancy sickness support, all one word, dot org, dot uk. It's, it's reflecting much, much more than, than actually I thought or other people thought. So if we say people get it from as early as six weeks, when would this tend to normally kind of pander away or pander off at the end? Well, the, I, I think it's very, it depends on the individual. I mean, it starts as early as four weeks in some people. Um, and we know for it to continue throughout um, the full, uh, full pregnancy term. So for some people, it doesn't go away without intervention. 
and intervention being the um, anti-emetics, the anti-sickness medication. Um, the earlier they get it, the better they'll feel and it, it will enable the um, person who's suffering from hyperemesis to be able to eat and drink. Um, without that, um, I, I, it depends on the person. It may carry on for the full term or it, it, could, it could sort of start tailing off maybe the last trimester, but that's, it's very individualistic. For me, um, I suffered all the way through and I was uncontrollable un unless I had uh, anti-emetics. And it wasn't just one for me, it was a mix of at least three to get me under control. And even then I was only able to eat by six months um, for one pregnancy. And in, in another, it wasn't until month eight. I think some women get remission maybe around halfway for pregnancy, for me, I had antiemetic really early because my mum and sisters had hyperemesis and I was forewarned. Um, and I did a lot of research beforehand and, and found out about treatment. So I had quite early treatment and my, my symptoms got a lot better from about week 18 to 20, although I needed to take the antiemetics for the entire pregnancy. So I was kind of okay in the second half, but only if I kept taking the tablets. If I stopped taking them, then I would go back to being sick again. But my sisters didn't get early treatment and they were sick through the whole pregnancy. So I think that really shows the difference between getting early treatment and not getting early treatment. So it is really, really important. Oh, listeners, we are coming into a commercial break, but I really don't want to stop for this commercial break because this conversation is so interesting and I'm sure you're finding it so informative as well that there is medication treatment support out there for people that are going through hyperemesis that you may ne not have come across before, you may never have heard about before. We want you to spread this word, listeners, please, to all your contacts so that you're getting that message out there that there is help and support there. I'm going to come back after this commercial break and we're going to talk more about hyperemesis and give you some more examples indeed. Our listeners will hold on uh, here while we go into a commercial break. So don't go away. Tune back to it soon, inshallah. 